Happy Mother's Day, everyone. I'm so thankful to be with you this weekend to celebrate moms and women of influence all across our campuses. But before we start, I'd just like to recognize and pause for a minute because for some of us today, it may not feel like a celebration. If you've lost your mom, a child, are struggling with infertility, or even having challenging relationships in your life. And even for our single moms, we want you to know how much we love you, we believe in you, and if you open your CCV app, you'll notice we've added a QR code for a free meal for our single moms and their families as our way to remind you just how much our CCV family loves you and are for you and the important work you do day in and day out. So this weekend at CCV, we're simply setting aside this service, not just to celebrate motherhood, but focus on who God has called us all to be, no matter what role we've been given in life. No matter if you love those Seahawks. <laughs> and no matter especially if you love the cats. Oh, Ashley. I have a question to start us off today. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? A friend recently asked me that question. She's successful in business. She's a mom. She's a triathlete. She's even an Iron Man. So I know if she's asking that question, and I know I've asked myself that question in so many ways, so many times, my guess is women all over our world are asking it. So who do you see? For some of us, we think about our accomplishments, our work, our wealth, or even our influence, yet for others, we think about all those things we just don't like. We can't get past our failures, our appearance, our body image. And with three teenage girls, what I know is this. At some point in all of our lives, we look in the mirror and we're disappointed by our reflection. And some continue to be defined by it. What I'm asking you today is, how do you think about you? How do you see yourself or understand yourself? What defines you? The big question I'm asking today is what makes up your identity? Because we're all trying to find our identity in something. And if you're like me, many of us tie our personal identity into what we can do or what we've done, not to who we are. We believe what, what we can do or what we've done defines us. It becomes our value, and that's how we base our decisions. And for some of us, we keep making bad decisions because we are simply tied to a false identity. The truth is, when we find our identity in anything outside of Jesus, we're left with regret, disappointment, longing for something more. And with as many of us that I know struggle with our identity, I'd love to walk you through three powerful seasons in my life where the struggle to find my identity is now my testimony. It's God's greatest ongoing work in my life. 
And it starts actually growing up in this very church with incredible parents who pursued the Lord my entire life. I watched them love and give and serve faithfully alongside Pastor Don and Sue, and they gave me every opportunity they could in school, in sports, and even a firm foundation with who God is. But even with the incredible foundation I had, I struggled to find my identity in Christ. I grew up as a child of the 80s. Anyone else? And if you've watched this new series called Stranger Things, what you'll know is that we had really big hair. (laughs) And two, our young adult and teenage generation is obsessed with the 80s, and why not? So in the show, Stranger Things, they reference this era called the Cold War. And if you're unfamiliar with the Cold War, we'll do a real quick history lesson. In World War II, Russia and America were allies. After World War II, they were actually enemies. One went in communism, the other democracy. And for the next 30 years, Russia and the US battled with espionage, nuclear threats, embargoes, and in short, there were spies in both America and Russia. Isn't that wild? I was in middle school at the time, and our high school recruited students to learn Russian at the high school. So that's what I did. I studied Russian for the next four years from a very sweet Russian woman with a very thick Russian accent. (laughs) And here's what I learned. With the current story, with the current crisis between Russia and the Ukraine, this is not actually an old story. It's a current story we're living on repeat. So after four years, as I was graduating high school, like any student trying to figure out what I was gonna do with my life, I decided on my own, are you ready for it? I was going to become a Russian spy. There I said it. That's what I wanted to do, become a spy. And you thought you had a stubborn teenager? (laughs) From high school, I went to NAU where to continue my spy training. Uh, I was a political science major, took more Russian classes, and at the close of my freshman year, I thought I needed to do what any good future spy would do, and that would be to actually go to Russia and study in an actual language school there. Where would I go? The middle of Siberia, of course. And so here's what you have to know. Once you got to Moscow, which is on the end, students, because of the Cold War, students could not fly any further. So I had to take a train that took me nearly a week to get to my school. Here's what you have to know about Russia in the nine, by then the 90s. It was like the Wild West. There was no law. I boarded that train as an 18-year-old girl. No cell phones. It was too early for that. And having no idea what to expect, I rode that train for the next week. And still to this day, I've never felt so scared. And I've never felt so alone in my entire life. I had no shower, just a tiny community bathroom 
where you would flush the toilet and you would see the tracks whiz by and you just prayed that you wouldn't fall in. Drunk Russian soldiers would bang on my door all night long trying to get in because they knew an 18-year-old girl was on board. But it was also on that train where I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. All right, so I was baptized at 10. But the, for the first time in my life, I didn't want to just know who the Lord was. I needed a savior. I listened to worship music, cried an ocean of tears, read my Bible, and tucked in my suitcase, which I'm not sure how that even got there, was a Max Lucado book called Six Hours One Friday, where the fir for the first time in my life, at 18 years old, I was able to fully comprehend the need I had for the saving grace of Jesus. Can I make this personal for a minute for all of us? Like my own parents, some of you have lovingly protected every minute of your child's life. You fix their problems, you protect them from the rigors of life you experienced, you bring them to church and you've tried to do all the right things, yet they don't seem to be interested in knowing the Lord. Could I suggest they don't know the Lord because just like me, they don't actually need the Lord? They don't need this, a savior because you have inadvertently stood in the gap. We love our kids so much, don't we? That I think sometimes we unknowingly become their savior and protected them from needing one. I think about this all the time with my own kids. Where should I let them fail instead of rescuing them? Where am I inadvertently becoming their savior and robbing them from knowing one? Listen, it took my parents sending me to the middle of Siberia <laughs> to experience the saving grace of Jesus. We probably don't need to send our teenagers to Siberia. Although we have three. There are days, man. <laughs> Here's the power for my time in Russia. I came home three months later with a new found identity and I realized that God had a plan for my life and it required growing into the person he intended. The details of what I would major in, what I would actually become in my life became secondary. I've never even thought about being a spy since that train ride. Although as your pastor's wife, you just need to know I may get called in at any time. <laughs> when I came home from Russia, withdrew from NAU, went to Bible college next, I was on fire to pursue the Lord. I was willing to radically change my life because of the newfound freedom I found. I found my identity. You see, the most important step in finding your identity is to accept your need for a savior. Because on our own, we seek our identity from all the wrong places. Sports, family, work, relationships, status, sexuality, image, wealth, scrolling through endless social media, TikTok, or even our past. 
but outside of Jesus. No matter what we find, that will always break down. And that's where sin steps in and destroys our idea of identity. And we begin to look to all the other things to define who we are. I've heard it said, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but call you, calls you by, his, by your name. When the, you look in the mirror, which do you see? Second Corinthians five says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Maybe you feel defined by your failure. You wonder if God could really love you. The promise of the gospel is that he absolutely does. And here's what that promise says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Are you exhausted? By trying to find your identity in anything and everything other than Jesus? My life my story is that Jesus has sealed your identity and mine when he paid the price for you with his life. And just like I discovered on that train ride, you'll never find your identity until you accept your need for a savior. For some of you today, this is your moment. This is your moment that you need to declare what this world is offering you is not enough. But Jesus is. After graduating Bible college and marrying God's greatest gift to me, Ashley and I started our life at a tech company that was so good to us. They taught us leadership and we worked our tails off and I loved it. For the next 10 years, I climbed the ladder, found my niche in a sea of cutthroat engineers, and I loved to work. But even though I had found my identity, success for me became like quicksand, quickly pulling me away from it. I slipped back into viewing my accomplishments as my worth. I lost sight of who I was becoming in the Lord. We had babies. I continued to dig deeper in my career and doggy paddled in every area of my life, including my faith, checking all the boxes, but barely keeping my head above the sand. Can anyone else relate? You see, I knew where to find my identity, but I certainly had no idea how to keep my identity centered on Jesus. And in 2007, Ashley and I felt called that he should spend the rest of his life working in the local church. But one year later, it became very clear that we could no longer sustain the pace of tiny kids, a marriage, a ministry, and a high-pressure corporate job. We decided together that I would leave my job. And I remember vividly that very first morning as a stay-at-home mom. I cleaned the house, played with the kids, have dinner prepped. I even got to watch the news. And I looked at the clock. And it was 9.30 in the morning. 
And I looked around, and that's where the brokenness began. I pleaded with the Lord. What am I supposed to do now? And for the next two years, very transparently, I struggled. I love my kids, but I was struggling, grieving my old life and independence. And some of you have made that transition into staying home and had such peace in it, and I love it. But for me, it wasn't that way. I felt completely lost in a sea of what appeared to be perfect stay-at-home moms. And I would ask the Lord, why am I here and what is my purpose? And it took me two years before my heart was ready for response. Through so much, so much prayer, he said to my heart, Jamie Wooldridge, because when the Lord speaks to me, he uses my first and last name. I don't know why, but he just does that to me. Jamie Wooldridge, your life is actually not about you. Your life is about me through you. And I realized in that moment, I had it backwards the whole time. I realized that my identity was not made for me. God intended me to find freedom to live as he created me to live, not for my purpose, but for his. And I realized in that moment that it didn't matter if I was a working mom or not. This was not a stay-at-home or working mom issue. I was called to accept that God created me on purpose for his purpose. Mark 10, 45 tells us that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And here's what hit me. Jesus gave his life away. It was time I start giving away mine. And then, it, and then Mark 8 hit me and it said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For the first 30 years, I lived for myself. All I knew for sure was that, was that I was going to spend the rest of my life giving it away. I started to ask myself, what if my interactions with people weren't to prove anything or to share what I think I might know? What if my motivation when I interact with people was to offer my life, my skills, and my story as this place where people can grow and see and know the Lord? What if every interaction we have is an opportunity to add value to someone's life outside our own? What if that's the perspective change our world so desperately needs? Wherever we go, whoever we meet, everyone, everyone we interact with is an opportunity, an opportunity to bless, encourage, and simply give our lives away. Whether I am in a conference room, a classroom, a hospital room, or my living room, every single day. 
You see, what I've learned is to keep our identity centered on Christ from scripture, we need to lose our life to save it. Around that same time, a couple of junior high pastors, they cornered me one weekend at CCV and they asked me to consider being a junior high coach. I had a two-year-old, a six-year-old, and a baby. What on earth did I know about middle schoolers? More than that, I had no time to influence anyone else's kids. I was busy raising my own. But as I prayed, the Lord reminded me that I am called to empty the cup that Christ has filled in me and as, as inadequate as I felt. I simply said yes and just showed up. So every Saturday, every Saturday since then, for the last 13 years, I walk into the junior high room at CCV and I give part of my life away. And very honestly, there are days when there is not much left to give. But I continue to just show up. And it's the best yes I've said in the last 13 years. It's made me a better mom for sure. Do you wanna know a secret? I've gotten to practice on all your teenagers before I had any. <laughs> I've gotten to intersect with so many 13-year-old girls at a critical time in their life and reinforce who God says they are before we release them and launch them into high school. And it's why we're so passionate about serving at CCV because giving your life away is the secret for keeping your identity because it's simply how Jesus lived. Romans 8 in the message says, but if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him, but for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Here's what Romans 8 saying to me. Obedience is my responsibility. The outcome and my future is simply God's. Because here's the risk. When we keep our identity all to ourself and our life, we allow our emotions to define who we are. Our identity will come from our grades, our career, our paycheck, our house, our appearance, our weight, our past, our mistakes, our kids' behavior, and their accomplishments and our social media likes. And if that doesn't define it, You'll allow your friends or your relationship status to determine your identity. You'll live for the approval of others in a constant state of defeat. You'll never win. But God has shown us that he has given us everything we need to find our identity in him and to keep our identity centered on Christ. I'm convinced we need to lose our life to save it. If I could write a letter to my younger self, I think it would simply say, the Holy Spirit is alive in you. Stop buying in to the lie that you are not enough. Because I believe with everything in me that God has called us to a purpose bigger than our own. And to find that purpose, we must grow it by discovering who God has called us to become. How do we do that? First, 
we need to trust how God sees us. And because we believe scripture is our source for truth, we trust that God sees us as beautiful, loved, accepted, worthy, capable, talented, strong, important, courageous, chosen, and most importantly, forgiven. And once we're secure in how God sees us, that's when we can allow God to transform us into who he has called us to become. Some of you haven't made that connection yet. And it's why you're stuck believing in a false identity that Jesus has already delivered you from. You have to trust how God sees you first in order to grow into who God has called you to become. And once we trust in who God says we are, then we can take the steps towards growth. And I'm not talking baby steps. I'm talking big, saying yes to Mother's Day. You're gonna kill your husband in the night. Maybe. Because here's what I've learned. My growth and my comfort can't coexist. I have to learn to pursue continual discomfort because comfort is the enemy of progress. All the self-help books in the world will not compare to the transformation that Jesus offers when I simply trust who he says I am and discover how he says I should grow. About a decade ago, I be really began to embrace this concept to be able to grow. I started to painfully, it was painful, painfully ask the Lord, what kind of person am I becoming in you? From your word, who do you want me to become? Because what I accomplish is simply an overflow of who you are in me. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Listen, I'm as goal-driven as anybody. But for me, the big question I'm asking is not, Lord, what should I do? No. It's, Lord, who will I become? And I think because I'm, because I'm becoming... I know I'm becoming who the Lord wants me to be. I'm becoming in tune with what he wants me to do. And all the decisions in my life, that actually becomes fruit rather than another thing I need to do or be stressed about or something I need to accomplish or even a post I need to make on social media. And I think this is such an important question at late one night. I was laying on my teenager's bed and we were talking about life and friends and all the ordinary things that teenagers worry about. And I asked her, I said, Ava, who do you wanna be? And I had to clarify, no, no not, what, not what, what, what you want, you think you want to do, because actually that's what culture demands, but who do you think the Lord wants you to become? And immediately she put a blanket over her head. And she said, I hate it when you ask me that. I said, why? And she said, 
because it's hard and it's scary. And I just said, well, that's how you know. It's probably worth something to pray and think about. And slowly, my Ava pulled down the blanket so I could just see her big blue eyes. She said, Mom, I think the Lord is asking me to be brave. I said, oh really, why, why do you think the Lord is asking you to be brave? And she said, because if I'm not brave, how will I ever share the hope of Jesus with anyone? So daily our Ava is taking steps of bravery because the Lord is simply asking her, be brave. We're allowing hard things to come into her life to practice who God has called her to become and that is to be brave. And what I know that is this, is once she's taken some steps to be brave, the Lord will move her on to something else. Who's God calling you to become? And you very well might wanna pull that blanket straight over your head, I know I do sometimes, and say, I don't want to. It's hard. And it's scary. And I just simply respond and say, that's how you know it's probably worth something to pray and think about. In this instant world, I'd love to tell you the world, that the Lord will call you to something big tomorrow. But from my life, what I think he's actually calling you to do is to be obedient today. And remember, God can't do something big in your life tomorrow until you find your identity in him today. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? God has given you everything you need to find your identity in him. And to keep our identity centered on Christ, I'm convinced we've gotta lose our life to save it. Will you allow God to grow you as you take steps and discover who he's called you to become?
lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. like my own story. For the first time, there are people watching that are going to claim a new identity that is only found in you. Will you watch over them and love them and put a fire in them that cannot be let out? Lord, we love you.
We thank you for what you've already done in our life and the price you paid for our salvation. We just thank you for that. We're grateful. Thank you, Lord, for all the goodness that you are and that you never change even if we do. Thank you for this church and that its foundation is your word and truth. We love you. Thank you for this weekend to celebrate all that you are and all that you'd have for us in our futures. We love you. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day, you guys.